Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hello everyone and welcome back to another episode of It Ain't Week to Speak. My name is Sam Webb and I'm here to share some of the most epic conversations I get to have with some of the most fascinating people on our planet. Every episode is dedicated to elevating the conversation around mental health because it ain't weak to speak. I'm a massive believer that a conversation could change and save a life for the better. Thank you for joining me on this journey. I'm so excited to be back here on the podcast with each and every one of you. Thank you for showing up. I'm also so very excited for our next guest to come onto the podcast. She is a neuroscientist. Her name is Nicole Vignola. She's a business owner and entrepreneur. She coaches people and consults with organizations on brain health, longevity, mindset change and optimization by using science-based evidence. Now, before I get her on the podcast, I just want to say welcome. If you're new to the podcast, I'm so grateful that you made it here. However you found us and why ever you found us, thank you. If you like this podcast, as I always say, can you please take a, a moment right now to like it, You know, make a review, leave a comment, let us know what we can do to make this better and more appealing to the masses. Not only is your review and your rating going to help us climb the podcast charts, but it's actually going to allow us to show up on other people's platforms so that we can help more people. And that's the whole goal for this podcast. So I want to say thank you for taking the time to invest it. It's going to be time well spent. This episode is intellectually amazing. Seriously, there is so much to learn if you want to be challenged, you want to learn about you know the importance of sleep, which I think most people underestimate or undervalue it, how you can optimize sleep to maintain positive and strong mental health, how you can manage stress in your life, whether it's work, relationships, some tools, simple strategies that are free that you don't need to pay for that can help make a difference in your life. She loves talking about performance. She studies decision-making in individuals in the workplace, and she treats her clients like athletes so that they can be the best conditioned to make sound decisions under pressure. She has a bachelor's in neuroscience in Bristol at the university there, and she also holds a master's in organizational psychology with a focus in cognitive neuroscience. But what caught my attention when researching, and, and I reached out to Nicole and asked her if she wanted to be a guest on the podcast, and she was straight up, yes, yes, I'm in. She has this mission to make brain health tangible for the masses. You know, She really believes that if mental health is your software and brain health is your hardware, you can't really upgrade your software on hardware that's not really working. In the same way, you can't work on your mental health without having good brain health basics that support cognition. So she always maintains curiosity. She's also a student of life. I'm going to get onto the podcast because there's a lot to unpack here, but it's great and you're going to learn a, a ton. So strap yourselves in, don't go anywhere, and let's get her on the podcast. Welcome, Nicole Vignola. 
Well, I've got Nicole Vignola here with me on the podcast. It's an absolute pleasure. You're in the UK, you're in Bristol. Looks nice and cold there. Nicole, thanks for your time. Thanks for coming on the podcast. No worries. Thanks for having me. Thank you. I uh, stumbled across the great work that you do, obviously, from a neuroscientist perspective and some of the quotes and some of the research and some of the information that you put out on Instagram through a friend of mine actually back in Australia, in Sydney. So I thought I better do a bit of research. I'm very intrigued by what you do. And from an evidence, no, of course, but I think from an evidence point of view and looking at research and looking at factual information is very important in this day and age because you hear a lot of people online, especially talking about their opinions, their views, and that's great. And I'm all about sharing. I share my own opinions and views, and I'm not a mental health professional. But I think your take on things from a scientific perspective in a way that's very easy, digestible for someone like me, a lay person, I think is very interesting. So I'm glad I got you on the podcast and I'm really interested to talk to you about all things brain science. Talk to me, Nicole, about just give our audience a little bit of an introduction about who you are, where you're from, and what you specialize in. Yeah, thank you firstly so much for having me. I studied neuroplasticity and my thesis was in plasticity in neuroscience. And I love that because it was like a sort of springboard for mindset change because now we weren't just talking about you know habits and how we need to change behaviors, et cetera. There was like a mechanism behind all of this that I could back it up. So it really sort of fueled my interest in how people change. And I think the biggest question is that people, do they want to change? Because I think people say they want to, or they don't even really pay attention to the fact that they want to until someone maybe raises it. And I think my page, sometimes I'll like have little tidbits of information and I get a lot of comments saying, oh, I never really thought of that actually. And then it actually prompts someone to maybe instill a change, which is what I'm really enjoying at the moment from my Instagram But what I actually specialize in is decision-making. So I work with corporates, high sort of functioning individuals, executives. I help them make better decisions in the workplace. So that we look at sleep, we look at hydration, we look at nutrition, we look at all of the sort of mechanisms that make the brain healthy so that individuals can make sound decisions when they're under pressure. So how can they manage stress, putting them in situations where they are working on mental resilience, so physical mental resilience, so cold water exposure, heat exposure, exercise, challenging things you know if we have a threshold for stress and we have things that are difficult and we are willing to make our lives a little bit more difficult temporarily then when things become a little bit too much or there's a lot going on at work it feels less sort of stressful if you will if you know how to manage it you know if you've raised the bar in some respect so that's what I do obviously I did my neuroscience so now the plasticity thesis and I'm doing decision making in organizational psychology And thank you very much for a little bit of the background into what you do, and I appreciate it. And you hit on a couple of points there, which I'm particularly interested in, I think is very common today in this world that we live in. Stress is very, very prevalent. When you talk about the work you do in workplaces, right, and how they can optimize productivity and increase their mental health through sleep, hydration, optimizing mental health through performance, physical and mental what is like the number one baseline? I know there's probably a lot of answers here, but what is your take on like being one of the most important, I guess, foundations to launching a good day and sound mental health? Definitely sleep. 
Hundred percent. You know, we touched base on this. I think a lot of people overlook the importance of sleep. I actually did a sleep corporate talk on Tuesday, and a lot of the people were sort of, you know, when I delivered, it, I thought, oh, they must know all of this stuff, and they were all kind of like, oh no, 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 we haven't tried any of these things, or at least some of them, which was kind of remarkable to me. But people don't really prioritize sleep, and I think in some respects, sleep is a skill. I think we can teach ourselves to become bad sleepers, and this is not to sort of discount anyone that has troubles with sleeping but I do feel like we get into patterns of self-sabotage where we don't prioritize it it's easy to scroll an extra half hour it's easy to watch another episode of Netflix and don't get me wrong I absolutely love watching Netflix and I'm not here to tell anybody not to do that I know there's a you and I both yeah I mean I love it but I know that it gets nine o'clock I should not watch another episode even though I so badly want to or it comes to nine o'clock and I I'm so strict with putting my phone off at that time, because it does take you about an hour to unwind. So we have these old training rhythms throughout the day. And when we are going into sleep, we need to go down to theta, brainwave soup. Basically, we have gamma, beta, alpha, theta, delta. Delta is your deepest, slow wave sleep. So your stage three, that's when you're in your deepest sleep. And then theta is when you're sort of tired, you're going into sleep, it's your REM sleep as well, sitting between theta and alpha. So if you're on your phone on Instagram, you're scrolling, you might end up in like a comment section, and now you're sort of working at high beta frequencies. You can't expect to then go straight to sleep, right? You have to go through all of these ranges before you can get down into deep sleep stage. So people will scroll on their phones, then turn off the lights, knock over, go to sleep, and then wonder why they can't get to sleep, you know, easily. Mm-hmm. I personally can sleep very well. So if I scroll, it's not that big of an issue, but I need to start tightening the cogs on all these small little things prior to sleep if I do realize that I'm having a week of bad sleep. Yeah, yeah. So I get that. And I'm on the exact same page as you, Nicole, when it comes to putting my phone down. And I have a pretty... I wouldn't say I'm flawless by any means, but for the most part during the week, yeah, and I don't think anyone's flawless at all. No one is perfect by any means, but I think I get that. I've got a very strict routine, which I'll share in a moment, which I picked up many years ago in a retreat that I went on. But I've also heard science backed about it around, you know, three, two and one, three hours before you go to bed, stop eating, two hours before you go to bed, stop drinking, one hour before you bed, switch off. I try and live my life like that. And as I said, it's not perfect, but it certainly has helped me. But let's rewind a bit. Talk to me. So, okay, managing stress is one thing. We'll put that to the side right now. We'll come back to that. What is it about sleep though? Like, Why from a neuroscientist perspective and a brain chemistry and evidence-based backing, whatever you want to call it, research, why is sleep important? What is it that it does to the brain that is good for us from physical and mental health? Yeah, there's a couple of points here. So firstly, when we go into our deep sleep stage, we have something called the glymphatic system. It's a system that essentially releases cerebral spinal fluid into the brain and washes it out. We have high red blood cells as well going in and just washing the brain out, getting rid of any sort of toxins, you know, unwanted folded proteins, etc. So if we are not sleeping, we're actually not siphoning the system. Mm. Okay, so we're not getting rid of all of the toxins that build up. We get diseases. I'm not going to say that if you don't sleep, you'll get X disease, but there's a lot of diseases that are linked to lack of sleep. Another really interesting thing is that sleep is actually heavily linked to our genetics. So the way that we interact with our environment is called epigenetics. Have you ever heard of that? I have. Yeah, I have heard of it myself a little bit, but I'm not very privy to it. I don't understand it to a great depth. I'll give you a quick breakdown so that people understand. In every single cell of our body, we have DNA, right? 
but every single cell in our body is different because we need to differentiate between muscles, eyes, nails, whatever, skin. So what happens to the DNA is that it gets switched on and off accordingly so that it can differentiate between different types of cell. What tends to happen is that when we interact with our environment, so stresses, smoking, drinking, obesity, pollutants, lack of sleep, what tends to happen to the genes is they get incorrectly switched on and off. So then you start getting autoimmune diseases, you start getting cancers, tumor processing. And when we don't sleep, we actually alter our genes. They did a study. They basically put people on six hours of sleep. And in that one week, they had altered 711 of their genes, somewhere around there. That's around 3% of your genome, which is quite a lot lot. just by not sleeping enough. Yeah. Half of those genes were downregulated in a way that they were basically affecting inflammation and immunity. So they were compromising people's immune systems. They were affecting their inflammation. If you are inflamed, you also have higher levels of sort of low mood and depression. It contributes to those feelings. And I can go down the mechanisms of that one if you want to, but I'm scared I might lose people. Well, we can. I like a little bit of a rabbit hole here, Nicole. I don't like surface level discussions. I want to dig a little deeper. Talk to me about, okay, so on the inflammation side of things, are we talking like bodily toxin inflammation, ingesting the certain foods that are bringing inflammation? Is that what you're talking about or something else? Well, yeah. So the body becomes inflamed because it's trying to recover. If the body is not recovering, inflammatory cytokines are going to come in, getting ready for threat. That's what happens when we don't sleep. If we don't sleep all the time, those inflammatory cytokines are always there. We become inflamed. Things start sort of going wrong, if you will. Now, the thing with depression as well is we have something called the kynurenine pathway, and I won't go too deep on this one, but when we ingest ingest foods that are high in tryptophan, so things, they make serotonin. Mm-hmm. That serotonin then sort of makes you feel a Serotonin for our audience, if they don't know, is a neuromodulator, is that correct? Yeah, yeah, on your chemical, yeah, that makes you sort of feel good. When we have a high inflammation, that actually disrupts that pathway, and it turns that tryptophan into quinolinic acid and kynurenine. Those are not very good molecules. They are neurotoxic and neurodegenerative. So they contribute to depressive symptoms. Yeah, right. So that is why inflammation actually contributes to poor mental health because it actually sort of increases those cytokines and it increases those molecules in the brain, carnurinine, which can cross the blood-brain barrier and then have neurotoxic effects on the brain. Yeah, right. Okay, and look, I know we're talking, we're very scientific terms here and a lot of people are probably like, it's going in one ear at the other. That's cool. On a very simple level, what do we classify as the blood-brain barrier? The blood-brain barrier is essentially a barrier that tightly regulates what can come into the brain and what cannot, right? Because we still need nutrients, we still need oxygen, et cetera. So it's a very tightly knit system that says what can come in and what can't come out. Okay. And so is there a amount of time, like I hear this magic word, magic hour, I should say, like eight hours of sleep every night. I try, like I know Sam's body functions very well at optimally if I've had at least eight hours of sleep uninterrupted sleep every night. And I know that if I haven't had my eight hours of sleep and I'm not putting negativity into my brain and talking myself out of it, but I actually feel the negative impacts the day of if I haven't had a good sleep. Well, look, I just got a puppy for some oh, no. stupid reasons. Yeah, well, she's no, great. No, 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 no. 
Well, my sleep's great now because she's finally sort of trained to sleep through the night. But the first week was a bit sort of detrimental. And my partner and I were sort of like, oh, so groggy. Patience is low, getting aggy with each other. Sunday, we slept in, slept till eight, which I don't normally do. And we, I woke up and I was like, oh, my God, we were both like half five. We yeah, felt like yeah, new yeah. humans. It changes everything. It really does. So with that, there is a very small percentage of the population that can actually sleep six hours and have the same effects as though they slept eight hours. So if there is anyone listening that thinks, actually, I sleep better, I feel better when I slept six hours, you might be one of those people and kudos to you. I'm a little bit jealous. Yeah, yeah me too. <laughs> but the majority of people, I think that only affects sort of like 2% of the 3% of the population. So it's very rare. But most people need between seven and a half to nine hours. If you're an athlete, you will need more, 10 to 12. You know, basketball players actually sleep up to 12 hours per night because they are recovering so much. So when we are sleeping, there are two very important things that happen. Besides the lymphatic system that sort of cleans out the brain, two other very important things happen. So testosterone is released during your REM sleep. So if you are losing two hours of sleep by sleeping six hours or less than eight hours, you're actually losing an entire cycle of REM sleep, which means you're losing an entire cycle of testosterone release. Even if you're a normal human being, but predominantly if you exercise even just a little bit, wouldn't you want that extra cycle of REM sleep to release testosterone? That amounts to about 10 to 15% of your daily testosterone release in both men and women. So that's quite a lot, especially if you are, you know, stressed, high functioning, got kids, got children, got pets. I mean, to be honest, anyone, right? It's pretty much anyone, unless you don't have to do anything that's strenuous on a daily basis thinking-wise and physically-wise, then you can probably get away with sleeping less than eight So what hours. you're saying is releasing testosterone overall is generally good for your mental and physical health. It's good to do regularly. Absolutely. Okay. And why? Why is that? Well, testosterone basically helps repair cells in the body. Okay, so it's really important for cognitive function. The mechanisms, I'm not entirely sure now off the top of my head, but they have cognitive functions in the brain. So they help you optimally they help you feel better like i work with a lot of sort of corporates that don't sleep well and you can actually see it in their physical appearance so they have it's predominantly men you can see the sort of belly and the gynecomastia which is you know the scientific term for man boobs (laughs) and you can sort of see it in women as well like your skin is not as firm it's just things aren't working right you know your body's like churning out that it's trying to make up for that lack of 10 percent of the testosterone you could have Mm. if you just sleep well The other thing is when we sleep deep, so in your deep sleep, you only get one wave of sleep, of deep sleep in the beginning, sometimes two, depending on if you're sort of an avid (laughs) sleeper, Mm. a trained sleeper, that's when you release growth hormone. And growth hormone is really important for cell repair, it's really important for our organs, for cell function, for cognitive function as well. So we want these hormones, right? Because they have other endocrine functions on the rest of our body. So if those are functioning well, then the rest of the body will be functioning well. Yeah, and it just goes to listen to what you're saying now, and it all makes very good sense. Sleep isn't just going to sleep and putting your eyes closed and waking up and hoping for another day. It's actually very, very important. Like I look at sleep, Nicole, in particular, as like the number one foundation for my day. It's what sets my day up. And if I've had a bad sleep or a rough night's sleep or I haven't got enough hours and I don't feel like, and it's been like constantly interrupted or whatever it is, and that's rare, I know that my launch pad for the day isn't going to be off to a great start. It really is my number one priority to make sure or to ensure that I'm absolutely trying to optimize my physical and mental health. Mm -hmm. it's mine for me as well and for my clients predominantly because it's free 
you don't have to spend extra money like yeah fine you can buy supplements that will help you You can maybe buy a chili pad or an eat sleep if you're hot sleep and you have the luxury to be able to spend money on those things but all in all if you can prioritize sleep if you can stop eating three hours before and you can stop drinking two hours before and put your phone away an hour before your sleep will be massively massively improved and a lot of the clients that i spoke to on tuesday for example were actually admittedly saying that once they they've been doing dry january they've been sleeping better because the other thing is that alcohol actually tricks this is not very sensitive but it tricks you into believing that you are sleeping better but if you don't it disrupts your sleep I don't know if you've ever had a big night of drinking. I'm sure you have. And if you haven't, I'll oh, definitely it. Have. Yeah. <laughs> you'll fall asleep very quickly, right? But then you'll wake up at around sort of 3, 4 a.m. tossing and turning. And the reason that is because alcohol disrupts the cortisol system. And your cortisol system is not just there for stress. It's there for your sleep-wake cycle. So it peaks in the morning and then it troughs in the evening in time for you to be able to go to sleep. So if you're drinking, you're actually shifting that cortisol release a few hours before, meaning that then you'll peak too soon. So that's why you end up waking at around 3, 4 a.m. You're tossing and turning, you can't wait, you can't go back to sleep. Uh, so alcohol is a massive no-no for sleep, even though people believe that, you know, a glass of red wine helps them go to sleep, and it probably does. But at, at the start, it might help them knock out to sleep, but not overall. I get it. I'm the same. I, I definitely don't drink as frequently nowadays as I used to when I was a few years younger and probably living in Australia. The drinking culture over there is a lot different than it is here in America. So yeah, no, I appreciate that. And I think it's very important. So for anyone listening out there, as you've heard, there are a lot of, I guess, different things that go into sleep, but also the benefits of sleep are far greater than what you probably first thought coming into this podcast. And there are times, Nicole, and I'm sure you mentioned earlier, and for me, like there are times where I'm not sleeping my eight hours and I feel groggy and I feel rough and I'm like, ah, but no one's perfect, so don't beat yourself up if you are having a rough sleep cycle right now, but definitely try and prioritize it is basically what we're both trying to say here, which is yeah, good. Yeah, absolutely. With the managing stress, and I understand let's compartmentalize one thing right here. You treat your clients like athletes, and I think we're all athletes to a certain point, and that's why we've got to protect ourselves at all costs, both mentally, physically, and all that sort of stuff, and how we have that self-care strategy in place is different for everyone. The managing stress part is very, I think, I want to go back to that now because it is very important. So is there anything off the top of your mind or anything that you teach your clients or you teach the people that you speak with in all walks of life, like certain things that are like definitely a helpful thing for someone to increase their mental health and decrease their stress and all that sort of stuff in their life? Is there anything like straight up that we could just give some pointers or some tips or strategies to people listening? few things. Okay, definitely sleep again. And I'm coming back to just one more time because sleep is your best reset button for cortisol. So if you have a stressful day, your cortisol peaks, when you sleep, the only way you sort of mitigate that cortisol is through sleep. And the more sleep you get, the better. So that's one way. Another way is is meditation. You know, people are going to hear this and sort of roll their eyes or here they go again. But meditation, and I'll try and explain it in neuroscientific terms that people can understand, because I think the word meditation, great, I love it. But I know that some people feel like, oh God, it's been thrown around and they don't really know what they're doing anymore. Like there's so many different ways to do it. And I'll explain it in very simple terms. Again, back to those brainwaves. We are working at beta most of the day. We are operating on social media at beta most of the day. Sometimes we go into gamma. Meditation is when you are sitting in an alpha brain state. So all that is, is you're closing your eyes, 
You're not engaging with the outside world. So there's no external stimulus that is basically having an effect on your brain state. So if you have a yoga nidra practice or you have a self-hypnosis practice, great. But anything like journaling, just closing your eyes and just kind of checking in with yourself, right? Because we don't let ourselves come into those alpha brainwaves. And if you think about it, it's like running, right? If you run for eight hours straight or we work, what, more hours than that in the day, we probably work like, what, 20? maybe 18. Let's say you work 16 hours. If you don't put your phone down or you're in between meetings, you then go to your phone, scroll on social media, go back to meetings. That's not a break. You think it's a break, but it's not a break. People will also have coffee. They'll have cigarettes, which is fine, but they never give themselves that five, 10 minutes to actually just completely disconnect from the world, right? So it's like running a marathon all day long. And then you get to the evening, you're so burnt out. You're churning out so much cortisol to keep you going that your inflammation is high and stress is high, everything is high. So if we can just let ourselves come back down to alpha, and I mean, you guys can't see my hand right now, but I'm sort of doing hand motions of beta down to alpha. It's like literally taking a mental recovery. Okay, and that's actually what I'm studying at the moment, is if we can do these five to 10 minute breaks just before a meeting, can we improve the decisions that we make? And I work with people that work in finance. They're making really high risk decisions on a daily basis. High stress too. Exactly. So being able to siphon all of these things that are already within us. Yeah, you can take supplements, of course, you can do everything, of course, but these are the basic things. And that sleep, that is meditating. And what I mean by that is just coming into an alpha state. That can also mean sort of washing the dishes. You're not thinking about any external, you're sort of going in, you're doing these things that are allowing you to go into alpha. So journaling, drawing, writing, playing the guitar. What about active relaxation? Like I look at running, for example, I jog at a pretty slow state and I do that most days because to me it feels like I'm very much in the zone and I can think clearly, I can feel clearly. Is Would you say that's some kind of meditation to a certain degree? 100%, especially if you're a comfortable runner. Because you're probably running at a comfortable pace. You don't feel like you're dying like I do when I run. No, no. (laughs) Okay, well, everyone's different, you know. What actually happens is when you're running, and it's the same thing as when you're driving in sort of non-stressful environments or when you're washing the dishes or you're doing whatever, you have this thing called the default mode network. And it is literally what I'm just saying, the default mode of your brain. So what are you thinking about when you're not thinking about anything? So the thoughts that you revert to when you're not paying attention to what you're thinking. And that is sort of activated, if you will, when you're running, when you're journaling, when you're washing the dishes, folding clothes, doing your chores around the house. But the thing is, most people are afraid to go into that default mode. They don't want to sit with their thoughts because some people find them scary. They ruminate. But the only way is through. Because if you never confront those thoughts, they're always going to be sort of churning there, boiling, right? But if you can go into that default mode network on a regular basis, it's kind of like having a conversation with yourself, right? That's how I see it. Like, all right, let's get it all out because then I don't have to get it out at night when I'm lying in bed because that is also what happens. We go into our default mode network when we're lying in bed because we have no external stimulus. But what tends to happen is people actually haven't confronted their feelings, emotions, whatever is bothering them. So they lie in bed thinking about it at night. And that's what can keep you awake and interrupt your sleep and the cycle, your circadian rhythm everything just becomes thrown off. I understand the importance of the peaks and troughs and how the cortisol works in our body. I understand the circadian rhythms, waking up, going to sleep with the sun and all that sort of stuff. 
Okay, so this whole stress thing is something that I need to understand even better for myself. And I think everyone does. No one's, again, perfect. But that being said, right, having these strategies in place, sleep, yeah. hydration, I think you also mentioned is a big part. And I'd like to talk to you about that as well. Sleep, hydration. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Meditation. Now, the reason why I threw out there running, not everyone's a runner. I run frequently, two, three times a week, find it quite easy. You can run 10 kilometers pretty easy. Nice, I'm just <laughs> Barely bust a sweat, I'm just saying. <laughs> but, but, but seriously, I enjoy it because I'm going at a cruisy sp- uh, p- like speed and I'm feeling like my thoughts are so clear. The same way as when I get out my Dyson and I go around the house vacuuming. The same way I'm washing dishes, making my bed. I like to confront my thoughts, but then I think, Am I doing the Dyson? Am I going for a run? And this is what I used to think when I was struggling with my own mental health challenges, was I doing that to drown out my thoughts so that I could just go running? You know what I mean? No, not really. And the thing with running, running is one of the best ways to actually confront your thoughts. Because what happens is, and I talk about this all the time, when we're walking, when we're cycling, when we're running, we're in this forward undulation movement. That means that our eyes are actually looking side to side. And what it does is that mimics a situation like EMDR therapy. I don't know if you've ever heard of that. They do basically goal-directed eye movements. And what that does is it deactivates the amygdala. So now you can think about your thoughts without the stressful stimulus because your amygdala is there to basically perceive fear. So if you can think about all those things and get them out, but not be threatened by them, then wouldn't that be the best way to do it? So running is actually the best way to get rid of your anxiety and stress. 
Yeah, and I feel like I feel, Nicole, I actually feel instantly better after I run. Even if I've had a bad day or a meeting or whatever, something might not be, I just might be feeling icky. Like going for a run, I feel great after it. It's crazy how much, even a brisk walk makes a difference. Exactly, walking as well. Now, obviously running has the endorphins, it has the sort of endocannabinoids that are released. The other thing with running that I was going to say, and I can't remember, but basically I would run more if I didn't live in Bristol. Bristol is super hilly. So like, it's really nice. You've got to learn those hills. Oh, like, oh. Mate, Sam, like you run downhill, run Harborside, wonderful, beautiful. You're around the water. It's a crispy, sunny day and it's really cold. And then you're like, Oh, I've got the hill to do on the way. Yeah, <laughs> like, it's so off-putting, man. But what I was going to say about hobbies as well is that they've actually done studies on this. They're really interesting. And they basically got people to perceive a stressful threat. And they actually measured this through inflammatory cytokines. Because as I said, when you are under a stressful environment, the inflammation comes up because it's ready to help you recover from that event, right? So what happened was they basically gave two different groups of people a stressful stimulus, the same stressful stimulus. They told group number one to go sit on the sofa and relax. And then they told group number two to actually play Tetris. I believe it was Tetris. And the group that was had to play Tetris recovered quicker from the stressful environment or stressful stimulus. And that is because their mind was completely absorbed into something else. So that's why running, hobbies, my partner does jiu-jitsu, I do ballet, all of those things, I do yoga, I can just not exist for an hour and just think about what's in front of me. And I'm not here to say that video games are great because there's a lot of other stuff, but that is also why video games can help up to a certain extent. Of course, if you're sort of like, you know, running away from your problems and playing video games three, four hours straight, probably not healthy, but an hour of you engaging in a hobby, like playing the guitar or whatever it is that you do Mm -hmm. helps you completely take your mind off things because the brain doesn't know the difference between what is happening in front of you and something that you've thought. And we know this because they've done experiments on it and I can go down that route as well, but I feel like we're just going to go down plenty of rabbit holes. But All just- these roads, yeah. <laughs> yeah. There's so many roads. I get it. And I think, you know, for me, another hobby I run, I train, I exercise, I like going hiking, but acting, you know, I do acting as well outside of what I do in the mental health space. And I feel like when someone asks me, like, what do you love most about it? I feel like every time I'm doing it, I'm in the zone. Like I've had a couple of boxing fights in my life, you know, an amateur there was something so special about the actual art of fighting, you know, and mm. not of also the winning and the competitive side is very different. That's one part of it. The other part is like the discipline side, the focus, the time in your own mind, staying very present, being very there in the moment. It's the same thing I feel when I'm delivering a keynote in an audience or a workplace, or I'm rehearsing a scene class and I'm going up to put up a scene on the floor and it's a very good feeling. It's a very addictive feeling. You know what I mean? Yeah, because you're not thinking about anything else. Or if you've had a stressful event, you can completely absorb yourself into something else that takes your mind off it. So you can come back to it and then rationalize those feelings. Because a lot of the times we think about those events with a sort of fight or flight or a stressful emotional brain. We can't rationalize. If you can step away for five, 10 minutes, do something else, come back to it, you'll most likely be more compassionate towards the scenario, including yourself. Yeah, absolutely. And what other little techniques or strategies you think is kind of lies a good baseline to set you up to be able to manage? Because we all deal with stress, right? Stress is something that's very common, but some people deal with stress chronically and that's when it becomes detrimental to our health and all that sort of stuff. But enough stress in your body and enough stress in your mind Mm -hmm. is good to a point, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So what are other things that we could do to manage our stress? Like 
hydration, exercise. Tell me. Yeah, so hydration, and I'm going with the sort of easiest to most difficult, if you will. So hydration, yeah, I mean, we both, no, you know, they won't be able to see Snack and waters. Yeah, we're both sipping. I mean, I've got electrolytes in mine. So hydration, you have neurons that communicate to each other in the presence of water. You have sodium potassium that basically shift their voltage through a membrane, and that is what creates this electrical sort of conductance that allows you to have a signal that then communicates from one neuron to another. So that's how it works. Sodium and potassium sort of change from one extracellular space into the intracellular space, basically, if you wanted to know a little bit about action potentials. I tend to hydrate with electrolytes, which is what I get my clients to do as well, especially if you are running in a hot country, you want to be able to replenish those electrolytes. Now, of course, electrolytes can be expensive, so that is a luxury, but even just drinking plain old water, you know, people will sort of come in and there's so many jokes about people that hydrate in the evening, like, oh, it's my first glass of the day. And it's like, no, because even 2% dehydration can actually impact your psychomotor activity, the way that you make decisions. So my clients are all drinking water before a meeting, right? Which you could argue that, yeah, then you need to go to the bathroom, but drink more water. How much is too much water though? Like, can't you drown your organs if you yeah, drink too much yeah, water? Yeah, yeah, what is it called? I can't remember, but yeah, you can basically drown. So, I mean, I don't think anyone's going to drink that much water, right? I'm not sure what the amounts are, but two and a half, three liters of water a day seems about right to me, depending on your weight. And yeah. yeah, I sometimes feel like sometimes I don't drink enough, depending on when I run and all oh, train and whatnot. But yeah, you can definitely feel. Yeah, the impacts I feel like when you don't drink enough, but I also don't like drinking too much water. I hate. Yeah, I'm aware. I'm yeah, aware. exactly. And most people aren't. Most people like I know clients that like never drink anything except coffee and tea, and they're like, "Yeah, but I am hydrating." And I'm like, "No, you're that not." That dehydrates you. Yeah, I'm like you're not. <laughs> that dehydrates you. Yeah. Turns into like you've wrung out like a cloth. Okay, so we've got hydration, we've got meditation, and I love your explanation on meditation. It's not like sitting there in a Zen state, holding hands and listening to a song for 20 minutes. You could be doing very simple five-minute bursts here, there, and everywhere throughout the day, doing the things that you really enjoy just to take your mind away. I love that. I love the sleep. You and I are both the same. Sleep is my number one. I've mentioned that a couple of times now. Very important, and I highly encourage everyone else to prioritize that. Anything else that is like a non-negotiable? Exercise, 100% exercise. I mean, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think we probably all knew what I was coming to at this point. <laughs> no, I can't believe she said it. <laughs> I was hoping she was going to give me some magic pill. But well, there is potentially a magic pill. I'll tell you in a minute. But exercise. Okay, so remember I explained to you the kynurinine pathway that basically disrupts the tryptophan. It gives us low mood. It's neurotoxic to the brain. When we exercise, we actually, that mechanistic movement of you contracting and releasing your muscle releases myokines. And what those myokines do, they essentially work with the brain, and I'll explain that in a minute, but you also have something called kynurinic acid. Kynurinic acid then breaks down the kynurinine before it can cross the blood-brain barrier. So remember I said your kynurinine crosses the blood-brain barrier and wrecks havoc. What kynurinic acid does is it actually breaks it down before it can. So it stops those molecules from being able to cross the blood-brain barrier so they don't wreak havoc on the brain. That is all through exercise. Okay, so you think of the blood-brain barrier in those situations as kind of like a fence. You don't want them to cross that. You want some things to cross. You don't want want something to cross. And when you exercise, that mechanistic movement breaks down carnurinine into carnurinic acid before it can cross the blood-brain barrier. Yeah, right. No, no, I got it. I'm following. So then people in your workplace or people listening right now that are dealing with stress to a point where it's unmanageable 
and they're wigging out or it's getting to a point where it's creating anxieties or depression in their life and I've been there and I experienced it myself so I understand it to a certain point given my own experiences. What are some of the role plays and things you go through with your clients at work when you're treating them like athletes? Like how do they optimize health through minimizing stress in the workplace or even decision making like when it comes to stressful things in their life? Yeah. The thing is with exercise, there's so many components. We can literally go from it at any angle, but there are so many things. The other thing with exercise is that we engage in something called hormesis. So hormesis is a phenomenon where you engage in a particular activity that short term is beneficial to you, but in the long run could kill you. So like cold water exposure, you can do it for five, 10 minutes, however much you can do it for. If you were in there for an hour, you would you know, be hypothermic and die. Same with heat exposure, same with exercise. Okay, but that phenomenon is actually means that we are increasing our stress threshold, not just like hypothetically, metaphorically, like woo-woo. We are actually physically changing the physiology, meaning that we need more stress to trigger us because now you do a cold war exposure for two minutes, you reach threshold, it's too much, you get out. The next time it's three, then it's four, then it's five, then it's six. And that does translate into you being able to then deal with stress on a sort of... So it helps with being resilient. Exactly. It helps with resilience. It helps with having setbacks and managing stressful situations. Exactly. And we've seen that because what tends to happen is when we engage in things like this, what tends to happen is, and you spoke about boxing, and I love that because when you think about a boxer in a boxing ring, his body is under immense amounts of pressure, right? There's a lot of adrenaline going on in there. But their minds are probably very calm. So the levels of noradrenaline in the brain are very low. And that is because through taking ourselves through these hormetic processes, we separate those two pathways because adrenaline and noradrenaline both trigger each other. If you're stressed in the brain, your stress will go up in the body and vice versa. If your body's under threat, your brain will also be a sort of high in those molecules. But when we engage, when we voluntarily engage in scenarios where we make ourselves stressed, but we are calm mentally, we are able to separate those two pathways. That's why a boxer can go into a boxing ring and not have a panic attack while his body is under an immense amount of adrenaline to get him through the fight. And that's what blows my mind. And the thing with exercise and brain health and all these things that you can't tangibly measure it not really unless you're in a lab you could or you can measure it in terms of like how long you can stay in cold water etc but you don't go to the gym and then come out and go oh I've lost two pounds on my brain or I've gained two pounds on my brain whereas it's easier to look at it from a bodily perspective so that's why it's harder to try and tell people how important it is for their brains we can actually change the structure of our brain through exercise by increasing gray matter volume and we want more gray that's matter volume. That's, that's a fact, isn't it? And that is a good thing because we have neurodegenerative diseases. 99 in 100 cases of Alzheimer's in the UK, I'm not sure what it is in the USA and what it is in Australia, is not from the genetic inherited version of Alzheimer's. That means that through lifestyle changes and lifestyle factors, we are driving ourselves to neurodegeneration. So if we can exercise, hydrate, sleep, what else have we spoke about? Meditate, all of these things are actually going to have a positive effect on you being able to live into your 60s, 70s, 80s healthily. Because neurodegeneration doesn't start in your 50s, 60s. It starts in your 20s, about your 30s. Another thing that tends to happen is every decade, we lose about 5 to 10% of our dopamine. That's why it's so hard to become motivated when you're older. If you don't engage in exercise and you try and take up exercise in your 60s, it's pretty hard. But if you've done it your whole life, it's not hard. 
Okay. And exercise increases dopamine. So if we can adopt these things now, that means that we are protecting ourselves from dopamine loss. And of course, there will always be an element of dopaminergic loss, right? We're not immortal. We're going to, you know, have it. But if we can help ourselves and try and stave off these neurodegenerative diseases, then why wouldn't we do it? Absolutely. I agree. And I think those four areas that you've kind of mentioned, yeah, they're very useful and most of them are free. Like it's not like you have to go and stress an arm and a leg doing it. You know what I mean? Exactly. When we say exercise, we're not talking about go and run ultra marathons or go and fight five professional boxing matches by any means. It could be just a brisk walk, slow jog, could be going to the gym, yeah. doing what works for you. However, I would encourage resistance training because I spoke about those myokines and you want to put your muscles under a amount of pressure that allows you to release those myokines and change the kynurenine into kynurenic acid. So myokines are basically muscle-based proteins that interact with the brain. And we release something called IGF-1, just as an example. There's so many of them. I'm just going to touch base on IGF-1, insulin growth life factor 1, that basically has protective effects on the brain, improves cognitive function. But that is only released when we are contracting the muscle at around 70%. Of course, I'm not suggesting people go and lift at 70% every single day, but if you can do that semi-regularly, once, twice, ideally twice to three times a week, you're going to have huge effects on your brain health. Like weight training, yeah? Yeah, weight training, resistance training. Okay, so we pull all these together, we do a whole circle right now, we've come full circle. You mentioned earlier there may be a magic pill. What were you talking about there? Well, it's not a pill, so omega-3s, omega-3s have been shown to have huge cognitive sort of positive effects on the brain. They can help stave off dementia. They just did a cohort study. It was incredible. They looked at people within, I think it was 30 or 40 years, and people that supplemented and ingested high omega-3s actually had better cognitive function in their later life. Now, well, I was just going to say, so omega-3s is things in like fatty acids in food and stuff like salmon and fish and that sort of stuff? Yeah, exactly. Ideally, you would get it from your food, but... I supplement because I just cannot eat that much seafood every day. I would love to, but you know, I live in England. I mean, who knows where the fish comes from? When I go to Portugal, I mean, they line fish there. So yeah, hell yeah, I'm always eating fish when I'm there. But I actually supplement two grams of EPA, which is one of the fatty acids in omega-3s every day. EPA. There's EPA and DHA. Uh, one milligram of DHA, two grams of EPA. That's what I supplement with. Yeah, nice. Well, it's good to know. So there's some really top level things that anyone that's listening to this podcast, if they're worried or want to become a better version of themselves through optimizing mental health and physical health. I love how you see the brain as hardware to mental health. Yeah. As we bring this full circle, I know we're coming to an end of this podcast. Talk to us how important the hardware is to the software and how they really integrate with each other. And they're both just as important as one another. Yeah. So the way I explain it is if the brain health is the hardware and the mental health is a software, you can't operate mental health on or software on a hard piece of hardware that's not working, right? So if your fundamental physiology is not functioning properly, so you are not sleeping right, you've got inflammation, you are not eating right, you're low in vitamins. That's another thing is vitamins, vitamin D, vitamin C. I would personally, if you can afford it, get tested, figure out what you're lacking in, supplement if you can. Vitamin D is it's cheap to supplement. People that live in hot countries tend to have low vitamin D as well. So I tend to supplement all my clients. I actually do genetic and blood testing with my clients and see how much of what they need. So yeah, it's hard for me to say how much people should be taking, but maybe speak to a local pharmacist or a doctor and figure it out. But 
vitamin D, vitamin C is a huge one as well. The brain health is the hardware, mental health is the software. So if you don't have that fundamental physiology that is operating properly, then the rest of it is going to sort of fall behind you because you're going to be playing catch up. You can't feel good, work on your mental health and your, say you've got depression or, you know, anxiety. If you haven't slept right, I mean, you can, but wouldn't you have a better chance if you had the fundamentals all just ticked off, right? I mean, it's a hard pill to swallow. It is, but they go hand in hand and you could be looking great on the outside, right? You could be looking in the mirror, you've done all your training, done all your exercise, but on the inside, you know, like what are you feeding yourself? Are you getting enough sleep? Are you hydrating enough? Are you constantly under stress, pressure that, you know, sometimes you can't see that stuff either on the outside, Nicole. So I think it's really important for everyone here to listen, to check in with themselves, check in with what they're doing in their life, where they are where they are on the scale, reach out for support if they need help, do research, try new things. It's 2023. It is another year and years go bloody quick. So I want to kind of challenge everyone who's listening to this podcast now to see if they can, this was hard for me when I first did it, but many years ago, it was 2016. And I'm going to bring this back to what I mentioned earlier. I was went to a health retreat in New Zealand called Aroha. A friend of mine owns it. It's beautiful. It's unbelievable. It's one of the best retreats in the world. And it's all permaculture. So everything is based off the land, the water and everything. It runs down in New Zealand, in Queenstown. And they implemented this no phone policy for last hour at night and the first hour waking up. And I've literally, between Monday and Friday, again, not perfect, but I do it almost all the time. And it's changed the way that I've slept since. It's changed the way that I've, like, I wondered why I was so stimulated at night all the time. And I did what you said earlier, like you're scrolling and you're engaged in stuff and then you go brush your teeth, you go to bed and you're wondering why you're still kind of half awake, like you're really awake. Yeah. And you're wired. So I want to challenge everyone right now that's listening to this podcast to see if you can go one week and see how it feels. Put your phone in a different room. I sleep with my phone in a different room. It sits in the kitchen on charge, so I can't even hear it. It goes on sleep. I have a different phone, which is just flight only for my alarm if I ever need it. And I always try and wake up before 7 a.m. every day. But that being said, I challenge you to try and not look at your phone for at least an hour before you go to bed and an hour, the first hour when you wake up. I know it might be hard, but I want to challenge you. It will change your life. I think so. I really, really think so. And Nicole, as we bring this to a close, do you have any final words of wisdom or advice for people listening right now? at all around some of the stuff we've spoken about? One of the things that I love talking about the most, and actually I don't really get asked this question very much, but there's a book called The Boy Who Was Raised as a Dog by Bruce D. Perry. He's a medical doctor in the US. And he basically looked at traumatized children. And his conclusion was that the ones that were placed in loving environments with a social network that supported them were the ones that thrived. And he's got the most beautiful quote, and I can't remember off the top of my head, but he says, you know, fire can warm, but it can also consume and water can quench or drown. So it is with, you know, human connection and relationships. We can either traumatize each other or really uplift each other. So if you have the opportunity to have a healthy social connection with someone and you know someone that's, you know, going through it, support them because that is how we get through our problems. You know, we spoke about all the brain health stuff. We covered the hardware, but the software is asking for help if you need help, finding those meaningful connections with your friends if you can and friends, family, etc. Groups, you know, that's why group therapy works. That's why group environments work. That's why sports works because you've got that in-group, out-group feeling. 
we know that social connection has a huge effect on our mental health. So, you know, foster that network if you have one. And if you don't have one, you can make one. Amen to that, Nicole. Amen. And that's just bounces straight off the back of what we're all about. And the podcast, the name of the podcast is It Ain't Weak to Speak. Nice. So don't be afraid to have those conversations. If you don't know something, you heard me. I was asking Nicole question after question because this stuff's very new to me too. I'm a student of life. and Well, me as well, you know, and I'm always open to go on podcasts and say I don't know something. You know, you asked me something I did and, you know, we can't know everything. So ask questions. And- Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, I appreciate you. Appreciate Nicole, you. where can Thank people you. find you? If they want to follow your journey, want to engage in your work, follow all the great posts that you do, how can they get in touch? Thank you. So I only have Instagram. It's Nicole's Neuroscience with an S, Nicole's Neuroscience. I think people always forget the S. And my website is Nicole'sNeuroscience.com. I actually run a whole entire course on how to rewire our narrative and rewire our brains and get rid of those sort of self-limiting beliefs, those stories that we repeat to ourselves. I've got all of the software stuff and the hardware stuff all in one course. So it's all on my website. I love it. I'm truly an advocate for the work that you do. It's so good speaking with you, literally. Yeah, like I, I've, I've loved every minute of it. No doubt the audience would have gained a lot from this. I could speak to you for hours. There's so many different topics I'd love to cover. So maybe we can get on a different podcast in the future. We'll have to do it. On behalf of myself, Nicole, and everyone here at Living, we'd appreciate you. Big love. Stay safe. We'll Thank speak you. soon. Thank you so much for having me. Appreciate you. Thank you for listening in to another episode of It Ain't Weak to Speak. Please subscribe to the show and help us climb the charts so that we can attract new listeners and change more lives. If you found something very useful in this episode, please share and spread the love to as many people as you can. Don't forget to leave a review or a comment so that we can grow this community together because a conversation can save a life. If you want to continue this chat, please join me on the podcast Facebook group at living.org. I can't wait to share the next episode with you. But in the meantime, we're going to the top. And remember, it ain't weak to speak. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.